Well, Happy New Year, church. So good to see you here this morning. If you're a guest here with us, thank you for joining us. Tune in online. Hope to meet you in person in the next few weeks. But we're going to go through this new series, Church on Mission. And if you are a guest, this is a perfect time for you to join us because you're going to hear what we're about as a church, where we're going, where we believe that God is leading us. And I would just ask if you are a visitor with us online or here in-house to stick six with us. Stick six weeks with us to hear a little bit about our church. Uh, There's a lot of great churches in our area, but to know if God is calling you here, at least hear our mission and uh, and where we're going, and then pray, God, is this where you're, you're leading us or not? But just really encourage you to stick six, and we're grateful that you're here with us as we start this series today. And this mission statement you saw on the video that just went through, but if you missed it, I want to pull up on the screen just for you to look at for a minute, because this is going to be our vision, not for just 2021, this is for the years ahead at West Cabarrus. And there's nothing new under the sun, we are just trying to do exactly what Christ has asked us to do. We are trying to do the great commandment and the great commission. That's what Christ called us to do in the, in the scriptures. That's what we are doing as a church. And this is how we're saying it as a church. So when you see it here on the screen, let me read it to you. It says, West Cabarrus Church exists to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And I'm calling this just in my mind so I can grasp and understand it like a 122 vision. We have just one purpose and one goal, one destination as a church, and it is to glorify God. That's what his church is created for. That's what we at West Cabarrus are created for. So that's one thing that we're going to do, right? But we do it by doing two things and two things. We glorify God by making more and better disciples. That's two things. More disciples and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. Neighborhoods and nations. One, twenty-two. So you see the, the breakdown on the screen right here. One vision. One purpose for our church to glorify God. The purpose of our church is not to glorify a pastor or a person. It's not to appease a culture. It is to glorify God. And so everything we do Everything we do is to glorify God. And this is going to span across all of our ministries. All of our ministries from kids ministry to our adult small groups to students to college. Everything we do is going to be pointed at the center target of glorifying God. That's what we're called to do. This is our vision as a church. Now, a lot of people can tell you what they do. Hey, we glorify God. But few can tell you how they do it or even why they do it. But we find the answer to those questions in the next part of the statement. But it says, by making more and better disciples. And this is key to understand because a lot of churches falter on both sides of this. Some churches are really great at making more disciples, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news, and seeing people believe and to trust in him. A lot of churches are great at doing that, but not so great at maturing people up in their faith once they come to know the Lord. And the opposite is true. There's some churches that are really great at maturing people in their faith, but aren't great at sharing the gospel with other people. But as we turn the pages of Scripture, we see that God calls us as a church to do both of these things. We can't just say, well, we only want this place to be a place for for Christians who are matured, and if your resume doesn't say you've been a Christian for longer than 10 years and you don't know all the Bible, then this is not the church for you. We're not going to falter on that side. We're going to look at people and say, if you've just trusted Christ today, you're welcome here. This is a church for you. 
If you've walked with Christ for 60 years and you know the scriptures, you've memorized it, you've memorized every passage, you've memorized every book of the Bible, this is a church for you. Because we are striving after making more disciples, but also better disciples. Why? To glorify God. To glorify Him. Now, what's the goal? What's our destination for this? That we would take it from our neighborhoods to the nations. It's not just enough to say, well, we're just going to take it to the nations. They did their things over there. That's great. But our neighborhoods need Jesus. Our friends, our family, we need Christ here in the city of Charlotte. If you don't believe us, ask our policemen here. They see it. Turn on the news. We need Christ. He's our only hope. And so we can't just say, well, we only care about the nations. Let's get the gospel there. No, we care about the neighborhoods. But we can't just say, well, we only care about us and we only care about our neighborhood. We have to care about the nations. Why? Because God cares about the nations. God desires that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. So when you turn in the Bible all the way to the end, you see there's somebody from every tribe, every tongue, every nation glorifying Jesus Christ. So church, this is, this is where we're going. This is where we're going as a church And over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to break down a little bit of this vision statement each week. And today we're going to look at glorifying God and what it means for us as a church to glorify God individually and what it means corporately for us to glorify God. Because it's easy for us to think, well, how do I do it individually? And I would say if you're a part of a small group, you're going to dive into this really well into your small group. Because I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but there's a book, Life on Mission. That shapes a lot of how we think as a church and as a staff on how we live intentionally for the glory of God. And over the next several weeks, starting next week, our small groups are going to be walking through that book, looking at what God's mission is for us and how we live it out as individuals. But our Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at it as a church, corporately. God hasn't called us to live as individuals, but as a community together for Christ. So how do we live for the glory of Christ? And so just encourage you, whether you're a church member or a guest, stick six weeks with us. Hear what God has in store for us as a church in the years ahead. And use this as a chance to pray to that end. Before we unpack this today even more, let's just pause and let's pray to Christ. Lord, we start today knowing that it's all for you. It's all for your glory. God, and we're thankful that in your glory we find our good. And Lord, I ask first, well, first before I ask, God, I just pray and thank you. Thank you for sustaining us through 2020. As difficult as 2020 is, God, you have remained faithful through the whole year. God, you sustained us. You gave us the strength and the grace that we needed. And here we stand in 2021 in the same grace and in the same faithfulness. Because, God, you never change. And all glory be to you. And so today I ask that your word would be a physician to heal our heavy hearts and our hurts. Lord, I ask that your word today would be our counselor that that lights and guides us in our uncertainties. God, I ask that your word would be our bread of life for our souls, that you would strengthen us in our weariness. God, help us to hunger for more of you, your glory, and your word today. And I would ask in this moment of silence that you would pray, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, that you would just pray that God would speak to you today through his word. 
Pray that now. And pray for me that over the the next few minutes that I would be helpful uh, to us as a church, be helpful to you as an individual. Pray for me now. May all glory be to God, we pray. Amen. All right. You go to school to get a job, buy a house, have a family. Go to school to get a job, to buy a house, to have a family. You go to school to get a job, to buy a house, to have a family. That hopefully one day... Your kids grow up so you can yell at them to go to school, to get a job, to buy a house, and have a family, right? So you get to at one point where you get to get a big screen TV, you put on your wall, and you watch it until the rest of your days, right? That is ultimately what the American dream is. And when we say it out loud, it's humorous, but some of us have lived on that track. Some of us are on that track now where your whole life has been built around going to school to get a job in order to buy a house and have a family, That's just what you've been living on. So you've been on this track for so long. And some of you are now into your 40s and your 50s, and you're just kind of flying off that track. And you're looking back, and you're like, man, I had these goals here and just accomplished them. Like, is there anything more? Is this all the American dream has to offer for you and I? I mean, our hearts are longing for something more. And if we're silent with ourselves long enough, we hear those whispers. We hear those whispers in our own hearts. But we hear them in the public as well. None of these men I'm about to quote are Christians. And still their heart is longing for something more than this. The poet Ellie Sisman said this. People past the age of 40 get up at nights... And they look out at the city lights, wondering where they made a wrong turn and why life is so long. Henry Thoreau said this. He's an American author from the 1800s. So this is 200 years ago. He still had this feeling within his heart. He said, most people live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with that song still in them. Jack Higgins, who was one of the best-selling authors of his time, one of the most popular writers um, in Britain in uh, 1970. And he was doing this interview where this guy was asking him, hey, what would you say to the younger you? You're at the the, the pinnacle of of all of your fame. What would you say to, to the younger you? And his response was, when you get to the top, I tell him there's nothing here. There's nothing here. Jim Carrey, and the, the, Jim Carrey, the actor and comedian, he even made the statement. He said, I wish everybody could experience being rich and famous so they would see it was the answer to nothing. And it's everywhere. It's within our hearts, our culture saying it. I mean, what do we do with that? What do we do with that feeling of, this is just a dead end. There's, there's, there's nothing to this life. What do we do with that? Well, God's word is going to tell us today. 
We're going to be in Psalm 19. I hope you brought your Bible, and I hope every week you'll bring your Bible and go ahead and turn to Psalm 19. And we're going to unpack this because this is going to tell us what we do with these feelings. This longing of something more is because we were created for something more. This wondering of why life is so long and why is there just a quiet desperation in my heart for something more? It's because we were created for something more. We individually and we as a church created for something much, much greater than the American dream. So Psalm 19, we're going to read the entire passage today, but we're not going to go by and exegete every single verse like we normally would on a Sunday because I look at my, my notes and I've probably got about 40-ish verses that we're going to go through today. So be quick on turning your passages or write them down. Um, we're not going to probably have time to go through all of them, but we're going to start with Psalm 19 and allow it to to stem out to God's entire view of his glory. So Psalm 19, starting in verse 1, says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, the glory of God. And the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. And he's going to change, he's going to make a shift in verse 7 to talk about God's word and how it points to his glory. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Cleanse me, from, uh, or declare me innocent of hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God. Psalm 19 can kind of be broken up into three different chunks. And maybe your Bible has little gaps that you can see, a little bit longer paragraph breaks than normal. But the first few verses, is, is verses 1 through 6, is talking about how all of creation is telling us of the glory of God. And then in verse 7 through 11, it's going to say, but God's word is not just telling us about God's glory, it's shouting it from the rooftops. It's telling us the specifics of who God is and how glorious our God is. And then the last two verses we see, or last three verses we see this, okay, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us as a church? And so that's what I want us to walk through today, church. I want us to see this, the glory of God and all of its beauty. And all of its splendor. And first, we need to understand that we are created 
to glorify God. We are created, every one of us is created for the glory of God. Now before we run too far down this trail, what is the glory of God? When we say glorify God or glory be to God, what does that mean? Well that word in the most simplistic sense of it is it means something that has weight and something that has value. And so when it talks about the glory of God as we turn the pages of the Bible, it's talking about how God has this beauty and this worth and this wealth that is weighty and it has value to our lives. They would use that word for glory as they would think about weighing out something. If you had something that, that weighed more, it was worth more, right? As far as your treasure goes. And so they would say it's weighty, it's glorious, it's good. And so when we talk about God's glory and God being glorious and us living for his glory, that means we look at God and we see him in his righteousness, in his holiness, in his sovereignty, in his power. And we say, that has weight for my life. That's something I want to live for. That's something that shapes who I am. The things I value have to come through the thing that is the ultimate value, God. There's a lot of things that are glorious in life, but he is the most glorious one. And so when it says he has weight and he has glory, that means our God's not flighty. It doesn't mean he's flaky. No, our God is strong and mighty. So we look and we see the ultimate glory because he's the ultimate value and the ultimate weight of all things. And when we live for him and we give him glory... That's us saying, you are valuable, God. We see it. We know it. And we see it first through his creation. In verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. And then he goes through this picture of describing the moon and the stars and how they run through their circuit in the sky. And people look at that. We look at that. And we're like, my goodness, how glorious is that? How beautiful is that? And just like the art displays the glory of the artist, so God's creation displays his greatness and his glory. We see this. We know this. Richard Dawkins actually wrote a book saying, this is not true. I mean, he was an argument. This atheist is saying, okay, yeah, you see this glory up here. This still doesn't mean there's a God. Which to me, I'm encouraged by this. He had to speak into it because we all realize it. We all see it. And he's like, wait, I've got to prove that wrong. Let me write a whole book proving it's wrong. And it's because it has weight. It's because it's made to speak the glories of God. All creation is. It's crying out. That's what it was made for. The glory of the creator. And then in verse 7, like I told you when I read it, it shifts to the word of God. And how the word of God shouts it. Where we can look at creation and say, well, there must be some kind of creator And that creator must be beautiful and mighty and very creative to make the world the way he's made it. But seeing that doesn't tell us who that creator ultimately is. It tells us that there is a creator, but he could be an angry creator, right? He could create all these things beautiful and glorious and then look at us and say, you guys have just messed everything up. All the environment issues that are coming, it's your fault, and so he's angry at us. We don't know ultimately the details and specifics and attributes of our God by looking solely at creation. And that's why God gives us his word. 
And his word is putting on display where, where creation speaks of God's glory. God's word shouts it from the rooftops. It says this is who our God is. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And that's what we see starting in verse 7. It's talking about the word of God. But God is the one who has spoken it. Once again, it's pointing back to the one who created it and how glorious he is. It says, look back, underline these, highlight these in your Bible. But in verse 7, it says, the law of the word is what? It's perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord are pure. The fear of the Lord is clean. The rules of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. And then he even says, it's more to be desired than gold. God's word is more to be desired than millions of dollars in our bank account. God's word is so glorious, it's better than any food we would put to our lips. It says it's sweeter than honey or drippings of the honeycomb. That was the, the sweetest food they had at that time. And as you look at this, it's all shouting the glory of God. Because our God is perfect. Our God is sure. As we look back at a year that was unsure... Our God has forever been sure. He is trustworthy. His word is trustworthy. It's perfect. The precepts of the Lord are are right and they're pure. This is showing us that our God is right and pure. He's not involved in anything that's dark. He's not involved in anything that's wicked. He is pure and he makes everything right. He does all things right. He's also clean. He's also true. And it's through that cleanliness and it's through that purity and it's through that truth that he brought to us salvation. Jesus came and lived that clean, pure, perfect life and died for us in his righteousness. Why? To save us. To save us. This is glorious. And he spoke that truth as he walked the earth so that we would know and we could believe and we could see his glory. It's all right here in this text. This is who our God is. He's he's a glorious God. And we're created to glorify him. Created to glorify him. He calls us, he invites us to glorify him. That's the second thing I want us to see. We're called to glorify him. Now, like I said, we can look at this one passage and see that God's glory is here. And even look through the last few verses of it and see, okay, there's a turn in the author, David's uh, vision, a picture of, okay, the word of God glorifies you. and, and, And yes, creation glorifies you. But then he ends and he says, but I want to glorify you. We see that in this one passage. But I want you to see this morning, I want us to grasp that this is God's vision from the very beginning. He is the first and final cause of all things, church. And that's why we live for him. That's why when we look and we evaluate as a church, whether we do this event or that event, we're saying, what would be the most glorious thing for God? What would honor him the most? That's what we're going to do. How do we spend our money? It's all his anyway. We're called to be good stewards as a church And so, God, this is your money. How would you want us to spend it to glorify your name most? This is God's desire, not just in Psalm 19, but in all the scripture. And so I want you to see several passages. They're going to come up on the screen for you. But I want you to see it, starting in 1 Chronicles 16. 
First Chronicles 16 says this, Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. He's do it. It's owed to him. Why? Because he's the most glorious one. And then it says, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Ascribe to the Lord his glory. All the way back in Colossians. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Colossians, in Chronicles. It's telling us, glorify God. Congregation, glorify God. Church, glorify God. Individually, glorify God. Psalm 96 says this, sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Why in the world do we sing every week? God commands it. It's a way to glorify him. We're proclaiming to each other who God is. We're proclaiming to our own hearts and trust and faith. This is who our Lord is. He's glorious. And so we sing to him. We bless his name. And then it says, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Why do we want to share the gospel with somebody else? Because it's putting God's glory on display. It glorifies God. And it tells us that all people, all nations would praise him. Why? Because he is great and greatly to be praised. He's the most glorious thing. And so when we look at people and say, turn to Christ, we're saying, turn to the one who's worth living for. The only one who's going to satisfy what the American dream cannot. We declare his glory. Isaiah 43, verse 7, says, Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. Isaiah takes it to a whole other level. He takes it all the way back to the beginning of creation and he says, hey, guess what? God created you and he created me for his glory. I formed them, I made them with a purpose to glorify me and to be satisfied as they glorify me. This is the chief end of man, is what the old theologians said. And Isaiah says, hey, we were all created. Created for what? The glory of God. That's what you were formed for. That's what you were made for. Why did Jesus even come from heaven to earth? Why did he come? Luke chapter 2, verse 14. We read it just a couple weeks ago and we taught on it, right? Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest. This is what the angels are proclaiming to the shepherds as Jesus was born. And they say, hey, go find Jesus. Go find the Christ, the Messiah. Why? Because glory to God in the highest. He is born. He's going to bring glory to God. Jesus even said in John chapter 17, verse 1, you'll see this on the screen. Jesus said, to, to, as he prays, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. We see the picture of the Trinity here, and he's praying, all glory to you. So why did he just go to the cross? Ultimately not for you, but for his glory. And as you believe in him and you trust in him, you find salvation, and that gives glory to God. Jesus came for the glory of his heavenly Father. But we see everything is summarized with this. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. This is the, the final cause of all things. And it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins 
by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's what it's all about. All of history, not just biblical history, all of history is for the glory of God. And so it's not too small of a thing for us as a church to say, we want to do everything we can to glorify God. Everything we can. Every decision, every prayer, every sermon, everything is to glorify the Lord. And David, in this text, going back to Psalm 19, when he sees and talks of the glory of God, it makes him look inwardly at himself, and he starts to just confess, I am not glorious, and you are glorious. And so in verse 12, he starts to just confess his faults. And he says, God, declare me innocent of my hidden faults, the things I can't even see, the things that have broken my heart and kept me from the most glorious thing ever. God, wash that away. Declare me innocent from those things. And then he says, keep me back from presumptuous sins or arrogant sins. Arrogant sins like saying, living for me and my glory is the ultimate. He's like, keep me from those things, God. May I be innocent of great transgression or great sin and great wrong. And then he turns and he asks God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you or acceptable to you. As he looks at creation and says, that's for the glory of God. And as he looks at the word of God and says, it speaks of your glory. He looks at himself and he says, God, please, please help me to shout your glory. Help me to shout your glory and in the suffering and in the pain, may I shout your glory. In the time of blessing and pleasure, may I shout your glory. It's all for the glory of God. Some of us hear that today and we think, yeah, I've heard all that before. It's all for the glory of God. God matters to me. And we say that and we think that, but it doesn't change our lives. Uh, Barna did a study several years ago, and it was fascinating. In this study, they, they interviewed thousands of people. And in there, one of the questions that people had to answer was their view on God. And an overwhelming majority said that God is important to them. In some form or fashion, they believe in God and God is important to them. But then through the rest of the survey and the rest of the questions, when, when, we talked about, when they talked about their time and how they spent their time, their money, the things they thought about, the things they dreamed about for the future, what Barna found was there was God nowhere to be found in there. And you're like, what? You say God is important to you, but then he's not a part of your dreams, he's not a part of your finances, he's not a part of your, your schedule, he's not a part of anything. Like Those two things don't go together. If you see God as all glorious, which he is, it changes your life. It makes you respond like David saying, okay, David, or okay, God, change me. Change me. For me, a while back, I'll never forget this. It was a huge shift in my life because I used to evaluate the decisions in my life by asking questions, which is good to ask questions, right? But I would ask questions like, okay, do I want to do this? Is it fun? Okay, check. It's fun. Let's do it. Is this something that I really want to do? Okay, check, let's do that. Uh, do I have time to do this? Okay, I do have time, so I'm going to do this. And all those are great questions, but I started asking a different question before all those, because let's be honest, even non-believers who don't even look towards God as glorious still ask those questions, right? Is it fun? Do I have time to do it? Is it something I want to do? Even non-believers ask those questions. 
for me, the question I've started to ask is, what would glorify God most? God, in the decisions that I have to make, what would glorify you the most? What happens is it starts reshaping our lives. Where we stop living for our own glory and we start living for God's glory. I mean, it's all about his glory. And God has laid it out in here how we should live and why it matters. These verses aren't going to be on the screen, but this is throughout all of the scriptures. Why do we work so hard? Why do we work hard? As Christians, we should be the hardest working people. Why? God's word tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. We work hard not because we have a, a well-paying job. We work hard not because we love our bosses. Ultimately, we don't. God says, work hard as unto me. Why? Because it's glorifying to me. Our work ethic comes from our view of who God is and his work ethic. How hard he worked to create this world. How hard he's working within our own hearts and lives for us. And so we work hard for him. Why should we love and care about anybody else besides ourselves? Why? It's the glory of God. In Romans chapter 12, it's talking about living as a sacrifice to the Lord. And in Romans 12, it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Why do we do it? Because it's a sacrifice and it's worship to God. That's why we care about other people. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Jesus, is, at the end times, is telling people, Hey, I was sick and you visited me. I was hungry and you fed me. And the people respond, they're like, when? When, God, do we do that? And he said, what you did for the least of these, you did as unto me. We love other people and we care for other people because it's glorifying to God. Why should I not give in to cheating on my spouse with my eyes or my actions? Why should I wait if I'm single until I'm married to have sex? Why? God's word tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, flee sexual immorality. Why? Because I don't want an unwanted pregnancy? Because I don't want to get an STD? Is that why we flee those things? No, God's word says, you are God's. You were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Why do we do anything that we do? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. It's all for him. Everything we do is for him. So there's nothing too small that we're like, well, how do we glorify God with that? No, having integrity in all areas and living for him. Asking the question, how do we glorify God best? This is what he's created us to do. And this morning you might think, well, that is, that is great news. Well, is that great news? Wait a minute. I don't know if that is great news that I'm supposed to glorify God. You're telling me that, but, but why is that great news? And that's where I want us to end today. Why is it good news that God has created us and called us to glorify him? Let me say it like this. Let me use this illustration. Let me ask you a question. What does a polar bear in Miami 
and a jogger on the planet of Venus have in common? They're both dying. They're both dying. A polar bear can't live in 100 degree weather. It can't do it. Even in the shade of Miami, a polar bear is dying. And we cannot go jog on the planet of Venus because there's gases there that our lungs aren't built to breathe and we would die. We weren't built, we weren't created for those environments. But you take a polar bear and you put him in the environment that he was created for, the Arctic, and he'll thrive. He'll thrive there. You take a a human being and you put him in the weather like we had yesterday in the 60s to go run, and they'll run for miles. Why? They were created for that environment. But when we sit here and we live for our own glory, we weren't created for that environment. And so we shrivel up. And we're dying inside because we weren't created to live for that environment. We were created for something so much greater. So yeah, it's good. It's good that we were created for the glory of God. And it's good that he's called us to glorify him. Because in glorifying him, we find what we need most. And that's what's so beautiful as you turn the pages of scripture. We're not going to have these on the screen, but like I said, there's so many passages we could turn to. But so so many of us are living for the joy. We want joy and we want pleasure. God, we want that so desperately, but we look for it everywhere else but God. But God in his word in Psalm 16, verse 11 says this. You make known to me the path of life. Path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As we pursue the glory of God and we're in his presence, we find joy that our hearts are longing for. We also find satisfaction. We just want to be satisfied. Maybe we don't want fame and all the riches and glory, but we just want to be satisfied. We want to be content. It's only found in him. Psalm 145, verse 16 says this, God, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You want contentment? You want satisfaction? It's not found in that job. It's not found in that family. It's found at the hand of God. You want peace? You want comfort? That comes from God. We need a little peace and comfort coming out of 2020, right? It only comes from Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort for which we have been comforted by God. There's a whole lot of comfort in that verse right there. Over and over again, comfort is found with him. We looked at this as we were reading through the book of Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You want peace? You want comfort? It's found in God. It's not found in what this world has to offer. If you have the sense of guilt and shame in your heart and your life, ultimate forgiveness is found in God. Psalm chapter 103 says this, As far as east is from the west, does he remove our transgressions, our sin, our shame from us. He removes it from us. Every single thing that our hearts long for are found in God. 
And so, yes, it's not too harsh or too strong of a thing to say, spend your whole life glorifying God, because that is where you're going to find your good. That's where you're going to find your joy, your satisfaction, your peace. And even though all these things in the world are great, it's not ultimate. And if you try to seek the ultimate and the temporary, you will be hurt. You'll be let down. Instead of living for your glory in all these aspects, your school, your life, your family, whatever, instead of living for your glory, you live for the glory of God in all of those areas of your life. And for me as a pastor, this is something I'm willing to give my life for. I don't want to build a church that our glory is our numbers. Where it's like, oh, that's our ultimate glory. If we just have a lot more people, then that's great. I hope that we see people coming to the Lord, and I hope we continue to see God bless our church as he has blessed our church through baptisms and through new members. It's been amazing through 2020 to see that. But ultimately, that is not our glory. Our glory is in the Lord. I'm willing to give my life and my time and my money and my energy, my effort to that end. And church, I would ask you to do the same. When you're saying, why should I serve in this area or why should I do this? It's for the glory of God. Why should I be a partner in our church in this vision and this mission? It's for the glory of God. That's all we're asking for. We're not asking you for anything else that God hasn't already asked you for and created you for and promised he would bless you in. Church, that is worth a pursuit of all of our days. All of our days. So as a church, we're going to run to that end. We're going to run to that end. So corporately, that's what we're going to do. But individually, I'd ask you today, I would ask you today, what is God calling you to do to glorify him? What is God calling you today, this moment, online or in this room, what is God calling you to do to glorify him? Today. This week. This year. How is God calling you to glorify him? For some of you, it's making that first step of faith to trust in Jesus Christ. For, for others of you that know God, maybe it's asking that question, how you glorify God. But do not let today pass without answering that question, what is God calling me to do to glorify him today? Let's pray. Father, we, we confess right now that many times it's not a lack of knowing what to do. It's just the desire to do it. God, we know that you've called us to glorify you. But sometimes we don't, don't want to ask you how we can glorify you because we still are holding on to our own glories, our small dreams. So God, help us today expand our horizon that we would see you as better and more glorious than anything that we can think or imagine. Lord, and I pray for the one that is struggling to take that first step of faith. God, would you just stir in their heart? Help them to have that desire to follow you. Their hearts and their souls have been shriveled for so many years trying to find satisfaction in all these different areas. They feel like many of those people at the beginning that their lives are lives of quiet desperation. 
that they feel like they've made a wrong turn and they're wondering why life is so long. Father God, I pray for that person today that you would save them. And if you are that person today, stop now and pray that God would save you. That's what he wants you to do. To glorify him today is to pray. God, save me. Forgive me of my sins. Remove them as far as east is from the west. And may I live for your glory. Pray that now. For the Christian, God, I ask that you would strengthen them. Give them deep roots of endurance in their life, that they would live for you and the glory of you through all stages of life. And Lord, I pray for those who are confused on what's next and how they live for your glory. God, give them clarity. You don't want to hide from them how they should glorify you. God, help us diligently seek that. And today, God, would you bless us with knowing what you called us to do to the glory of your name. Lord, I ask as a church that we would exist to glorify you every day. That you would give us wisdom and clarity on how to spend our time and our money and our energy to glorify you best. And God, when we get to eternity, may we look back and say we glorified your name well at West Cabarrus Church. And may you say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's in Christ's name we ask. Amen.